Welcome to VCR, a vintage cinema rewind. We're bringing old movies to new viewers. I'm Blake. I'm Jason. And in a way, aren't we as podcasters pod people? I think we are, yeah. Yeah. And uh, we're trying to show everyone else the way of the pod. Yeah. I want you to watch this movie and become a pod person like us because it is sick. And it's infectious. Yeah. And honestly, at this point in time, what I'll say too is... We're watching Invasion of the Body Snatchers 1978 this week. This is the spoiler full discussion. So actually, technically, you already are a pod person. Welcome to the pod hood. Yes. If you aren't part of the pod bod crew, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the bod pod crew, then go back and watch or listen to the last episode where we talk spoiler free or do our spoiler free discussion of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Really great movie. Just pure paranoia anxiety type of sci-fi horror some of my favorite mm-hmm. in there with the thing and it follows and all of those other alien all of those other kind of horror movies that i would be on my mount rushmore really recommend this one so please don't let us spoil this for you go check out that last episode yeah what i love about this too is like i'm not super into like halloweeny scary movies so this is like way more up my alley for halloween as like a halloween movie it's not a slasher film. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's a, you know, part body horror, part paranoia, part allegory to capitalism, you name it, basically. Like, I think everyone watching this film is going to come away taking a, away something a little different from it, which is really cool. Yeah, yeah. And and still just ever present, like, it, it, the themes of the film itself are, are really something that holds up well to the passage of time. Yeah, like anybody can watch this on a Saturday night and be scared. Yeah, 100%. So that being said, this is our spoiler full discussion, and we're just going to dive right into it, starting in front of the camera and working our way back. Where I want to start is obviously in the last episode, we talked about you know how cool sci-fi, low-budgety kind of the opening credits are. Yeah. You know, we move from there into our San Francisco setting where the film takes place in. The meaty flowers, like the pods, the meat flowers, they're so gross right from the get-go, like instantly like repelled from them. Mm-hmm. This opening credits are like another alien world, but then it's uh, they've traveled to Earth and it's raining. The water droplets all over the plants are growing these weird rooty spores yes even those like as soon as i was like it got me into it i was like what the hell are those like how did for me i was like how did they film like how did they film that back then what did they do it would have been stop motion is my guess but yeah that's what i was thinking very well done yeah super well done and starts the questioning it like yes immediately starts you questioning like oh how's this gonna go down yeah and it also, in a way, it covertly sets your expectations of where this story is starting. And I want to talk about that a little bit later into this discussion, but it feels like when we start this movie off, we're at the start of the invasion. Yeah. But that's not necessarily true, which is exactly. maybe one of the coolest parts of this entire movie. Yeah, yeah. Like, obviously, we see a little bit of the beginning, but you don't know when the first person was infected yes was snatched yeah exactly and i want to talk about that but i want to save that a little bit later into our discussion because i think there's one part in time when my mind started thinking about that so i want to i want to come to that point in time like i'm organically watching this film so in the first opening scene where 
Elizabeth Driscoll notices that weird flower. There's right from the get-go, like everything is just off-putting about like what's happening because we hear this squeaky, like, you know, we're in this play equipment. We hear this squeaky swing going and then it pans over and there's like this priest on a swing staring at her. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh my God, that's Robert Duvall. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, like, I didn't know he was in this. No, neither did I. And it's just like a brief little cameo, but it's just like instantly throws you off. Yeah, and like the filming from the camera, like the camera was on the swing and it just instantly gets you into that. Like it's squeaky and creaky and it's moving all weird. So it's like instantly like the camera work just throws you off. And then you get these like her with these little flowers. And yeah, she takes them home and then... We see her exploring the idea of what these flowers mean, what they represent, all of that with her husband. We get the idea that she's, like, quite good at biology. Like, it might have something to do with her work. Uh, She does, like, research and um, does testing on things like that. Yeah, she goes into it thinking that it's, like, when two species cross-pollinate and create a third species. So she's kind of, like, interested and excited. She's like, I found something very rare. Yeah, and then it happens that she ends up like just putting it on the nightstand, but it's on her husband's side, not her side, yeah. which is really important because did she? I thought she put it in a jar, and then she did, and then later it was just in her husband's water glass. Oh, did it? I wasn't sure. I don't know how it, it got there. there. I'll have to rewatch. That's such a it's such a small detail, but it, yeah, yeah, it just ends up on the table bedside beside them, and then you know we wake up next day. And her husband's already out of bed. The flower's gone. Mm-hmm. And he's cleaning something up, putting it in the dustpan. And he literally goes out to the garbage and throws it in the garbage. It's All of it's weird. Like, everything yeah. about it is just wrong. Yeah. And also, like, just on the background of her, car- or of her husband, he was already a little bit cold to her. Like, he was watching TV with headphones, which I didn't even know they could do that back in the 70s. <laughs> Um, and like, but he, he does greet her very warmly when she comes in first and then she starts telling him about all this and he's like, yeah, whatever. I'm trying to watch the game. And like, so there's this coldness there and then you still see such a change in him in the next morning and she like instantly feels it. Yeah, exactly. And so there's so much background themes, like even just the theme of two people growing apart is actually like a little sub theme that I was thinking about in this as well. Right. Mm -hmm. And how as a married couple, you know, you could potentially grow apart like this, but it's just like the suddenness of it. That's so jarring in this case. Yeah. 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 So then there's the connection with Matthew who works for also for the health department. He's like a health and safety inspector, which is a really cool setup. Like I don't think we've ever seen or I can't think of another movie where the hero is the health inspector, the hated guy yeah, of, yeah. of most films, right? It's the opposite of Ratatouille. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's so unique. Like it it it's kind of cool because on one hand, it feels like you shouldn't like Matthew Bennell as mm-hmm. a character because of who he is and what he what he represents, basically, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like he is he's somewhat likable pretty instantly because even though you know he's really passionate about getting catching these guys, he also it also somewhat feels like 
he's just kind of going through the motions as well. Like he's yeah. good at his job, but he just like doesn't care necessarily. He's, he's like burnt out because he goes yeah. to the restaurant that he's trying to get brought up on, like have like trying to get it shut down because he finds a uh, rat turd in their yeah. soup. And um, then they smash his windshield with a cheap bottle of wine. Right. Actually, that's one of my favorite like things about this film. And, and again, it's just that like underlying sense of wrongness is the broken windshield is like something that's ever present in the film. Like it, mm. it's a constant of the film. He never gets it fixed and he's always driving around with it. it you know, it shatters the perception of the, the front of the. Yeah. And you car. can't you can't quite see the whole picture. Yeah. Kind of idea. Also, yeah. And even like. While they're driving around in a more literal sense as well, you can't actually like see all of the weird stuff going on because this movie does a really good job of like framing these wide shots of, you know, public spaces, big public spaces. And there's always at least one person who's just kind of standing there where you're like, that just doesn't seem right. Logical. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's a big city and there's so many people walking around and you're like, is this just regular footage or are, yeah. like, and then you see someone just kind of confused or like just standing there staring. And, yeah. Yeah. Looking kind of sinister. And it starts making you ask questions. Yeah, exactly. Along with like the main characters. Right. And so that's when, you know, like Elizabeth is trying to figure out what's going on and she's confiding in Matthew because she doesn't, it doesn't feel like she has a whole lot of other people in her life to confide to at this point. So they're trying to get to it together, like figure it out. Matthew's pretty open to the idea of like something strange is going on. And that I think speaks to, again, like you were saying in the previous episode, the fact that like Elizabeth and Matthew have a very like work spouse relationship. Like they're very connected to each other. Mm -hmm. And that's really important because he does like basically say, you know, like I I believe you something weird is happening. Mm -hmm. So maybe let's go talk to my friend who is a psychiatrist. And so on our way to the party to go meet him is when the crazy scientist guy from uh, Piranha, what's his name? Kevin McCarthy makes his appearance. I will say I, I rewatched that scene. Uh, actually this afternoon mm. and on rewatch there's actually one of the screams of one of the pod people that you can hear oh no way yeah you know again what i'll say about this film is that there's so much going on in the background that you're not going to like notice things on first viewing and so this is a film that becomes so much more watchable because of that it's very layered yeah it's a very later layered film and so when he's chasing them you know, or when he goes up to the car and he's smashing the windshield and he's like, oh, like, you got to run away. Like, they're coming. They're here already. They're going to get you. And then he he runs away because, you know, there's like a there's a massive amount of people kind of almost chasing him. Yeah. Again, in retrospect, hearing that scream that's in the background, uh, the cry of the pod people, they are chasing him down. They're hunting him. Yeah. And we just like uh, the characters are like, what? I wonder what he did. <laughs> yeah. And then and then he gets hit by a car, too. Right. And these people who are just, there's a lot of apathy in this world too, right? Like mm -hmm. they, they hear him get hit because they're around the corner when he runs away and then they drive by him and he's dead on the street. And there's all these people kind of surrounding him, watching him. 
And they're just like, rather than stopping and seeing if he's okay, they're like, oh, the police will come and like take care of this kind of thing. Yeah. It's just kind of, you know, they see this horrible thing happen. It's pretty traumatic. Like if that happened to me, like that would be like a core memory burnt into the back of my mind kind of thing, right? When you see the crowd standing around, you're like, why are they so apathetic? Are they just in shock? Like they can't all be like, it's just making you like, what is going on? Yeah, it's so unnerving. Like, Mm. it's really well done. And then so we get to the party, and this is where we kind of meet all of the other kind of secondary characters where we meet uh, Jeff Goldblum's character, Jack, where we meet Leonard Nimoy as David Kibner at this big party. And even this scene is just, like, so unnerving. Like, it's it's gross without there being any bit of grossness to it. Uh, Elizabeth is already, like, so paranoid. And then you see it mirrored in that random other lady who's like freaking out trying to tell the doctor that like it's not her husband that came with her and yeah so automatically elizabeth is like what's going on like she's going to find out kind of and because she's experiencing that too and then yeah the whole time uh matthew is on the phone with trying to tell the police what happened and they don't have like a record of it or something right Like, it's so, that whole scene is really wild, right? Because, Mm. you know, we're at Dr. Kibner's, like, book opening party kind of thing. Um, You know, he's kind of like a self-help guru, it feels like. And so everybody's there for him. And there's, you know, this paranoia of this woman, like, outwardly, like, something's not right. My husband isn't who he says he is. And then Elizabeth, like, on the side being like, I believe you. I, I know that what you're saying isn't a lie because I feel it as well. You've got... Jeff Goldblum's character Jack is, you know, he's jaded with the whole thing in general. Like he's kind of yeah. a uh anti-establishment kind of guy, like, you know, he's wearing the old Vietnam style jacket and he's over he's talking over um Matthew. Matthew's on the phone, he's like really trying to get the police to listen and Jack is just like like, "Oh, hang that up. Don't talk to the police. Don't tell them your name." And yeah. like that is adding all this extra stress too. Like you're you're watching two super stressful scenes happen, like merged together. All the while, like the camera just kind of you know slowly like moving around the room, and, and it's packed, and it's packed, and you don't know who to trust. Like mm. all these people, like everybody just seems like so strange. Like when you're when you're looking for something, when you're when the conspiracy begins, and you get sucked into this conspiracy. You just see like shadows everywhere, basically, right? Yeah, yeah. And you're you're looking around in this crowd, and like the one, like you see two people talking, but like they have no emotion. And yeah. you're like, is it just that kind of party? Like, is it is that person weird? Am I weird for noticing it? Yeah, exactly. Like, there's just so much like going on, and so much that just doesn't quite add up, right? And this is where you know things really come to a head in. You know, right after this scene where we get out of the party and Matthew convinces Dr. Kibner to have a conversation with Elizabeth about all of this. Mm -hmm. And this is really when, like, when I was starting to get almost, like, frustrated with things because I was like, Kibner is almost, like, downplaying what's happening with Elizabeth. And he's saying, oh, you know, all these people are coming to me and saying all this stuff. But, like, he's going with, like, the misogynistic, like, 
it's a bunch of women who want to leave unhappy relationships that are coming to me saying my hu- my husband has changed overnight and right. it's like it's just hysteria calm down go see your husband like everything's okay just go to, go to sleep <laughs> i was so frustrated at this moment because i, I was like i was like why is dr kibner not listening like why is Do- dr kibner not even like entertaining the idea that things are wrong i was like he must see the fact that people are acting weird right for someone as a psychiatrist so i actually wrote down while i was watching the movie is this a plot hole like is this just like you know something that doesn't make sense with the character that's just gonna like annoy me for the rest of the movie now and the answer to that is hardest of no's like even the film has convinced me that kibner is like not like not a pod person yet yeah yeah that is the glory. That is, this is right here, right then, like five minutes after this, where my brain starts to go, wait a second. Are we a lot further into the invasion than we were let on to believe in the opening yeah. sequences of this film? Yeah. And that is, that is the core. That is the core of this movie that makes it so goddamn good is the fact that when it slowly starts to make you realize that. No, the invasion's already happened. Mm-hmm. The further and further we get into this film, you realize that the war has already been fought and won. Yeah. And we're just we're just so unprepared as the main ca- cast and like crew of this film to to deal with what's happening. Like we've yeah. got a health inspector and a biochemist. Like that's our that's our best like help here. Yeah. And they're trying to get a psychologist and then they just have an author friend and yeah. a mud spa person. <laughs> Yeah, and, and yeah. like right off the bat, you know, you start to think about think about things that have happened already, like you know the dump trucks, like uh, the garbage trucks, and them picking stuff up and not finding that weird at all, like the opening sequence. Did you see and how present that is? Yeah, when did you start noticing? Like, I kept questioning, like, what is in the back of that garbage truck? Yes, all the hair and stuff. Yeah, I that so that actually completely coincides with my thoughts on like. This is actually much bigger than anybody realizes yet. And that is when I I think they're outside still. I think this is in the same point of the movie. And there's like a big garbage pail right behind Matthew. And it's full of hair. I was like, is that just like all that's left of the humans after? I was like, what is like, what has happened? Like, how are they? How are they transforming into Mm -hmm. these pod people? Right? Yeah. At this point, I was also questioning, like, are the main characters just immune? Is it that type of movie? Like, is one of them going to be immune and they're going to, like, they have an immunologist type uh, researcher and they're going to figure it out? Yeah, they're just questions on questions. Yeah, it's so many questions. Again, I started to feel, for me, I started to feel the vibe of this movie and I was like, if if things are as bad as I start, I'm starting to think they are, I don't know how the main characters can ever be victorious in this yeah, movie yeah and that is that's just something that like it kind of started to settle into me and then you know we the movie starts progressively getting you know more and more paranoid as we go like and things just keep changing and become more more apparent like mm-hmm. you know we stop hearing like the birds chirping or the outside noises and all and then there's a period in time in the film where we hear a lot of sirens there's a lot of like like a lot of stuff happening and then as we get later and later in the film, things get quieter mm-hmm. and you know, there's less, there's less of the sirens. There's less of like the city life noises that you hear kind of thing. Yeah. Everything starts to get calmed down a little bit. And there's a great quote as well, because 
eventually, you know, like when Matthew really is in on the conspiracy, he starts calling all of these connections that he has through the health department and people are saying to him, yeah, yeah, we'll take care of it. Or like, there's people who are downright, like, you know, like I have more important things to deal with right now. Or we've heard this story before. Don't tell anybody else. Like, don't, yeah, don't like cause very, a panic. Yeah. Very conspiracy heavy, like messaging from people. There's even a point in time where somebody says, ah, people are going back to normal. And now that, that, yeah, that's a quote yeah. that's really like unsettling too. Yeah. Right. And so is this, okay. So after the, party though they go to the mud house yes like at that point you're questioning like who is who's real and who's not so was that the next day i think so he started calling everybody after he saw the body on the table i'm getting a little bit ahead of like the mud pit like scene and everything the mud pit scene is is man that is some of the best like horror ever like it's so well shot is what i will say like yeah the camera lingering on the door closed in the mudroom with all of the like the drapes kind of around each of the rooms where each yeah. person can kind of change and then go into the mud kind of thing. It lingers there and it kind of like like a little bit of wind goes through and it just sits there and I'm like, oh, like it's just mm-hmm. those little like things that just, again, make you so scared of everything going on. Yeah. That's when the first real pod person enters into the movie. Like when we first start to see how the process happens Mm -hmm. because jack jeff goldblum's character is kind of lying down he's got a nosebleed and then there's this body that like shows up beside him in the room beside him and it's covered in like like all this wispy stuff like it looks like saran wrap almost yeah and like fuzzy saran wrap yeah it's just completely wrapped and then they start investigating it yeah, and that's when they call uh, Matthew over, and so Matthew comes and checks it out, and Matthew realizes pretty quickly, too, that uh, actually, you know what, it's not even Matthew, it's Nancy, she Jeff's finds wife. She, she finds it, but she's the one who notices that it kind of, in a way, resembles her husband, and that's where Matthew's, like, asking him, like, oh, like, how tall are you? How much do you weigh? Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then, and Jeff, like, who's got the our Jack, uh, Jeff Goldblum, has got the bloody nose and he sees the the blood come out of its nose Mm. as well as like Nancy sees its eyes open. Like everything about it is just so unsettling, right? And and they're just touching it all over, getting their face close. I'm like, don't, don't touch it. (laughs) Yeah, because we really don't know how people are infected at this point in time, like how, how this is kind of spread, right? Yeah. Yeah, like the that scene kind of, you know, really starts to like set us down. Again, there's right after that, there's another garbage truck. The body disappears. Yeah, there's a lot there's a whole lot of mystery like and I think as well at this point in time, this is when Leonard Nimoy's character Dr. Kimner has come back and every time he's there, things just don't quite add up, right? Yeah. And that's really I think it's this scene is really where I started to think like, oh, maybe Kibner's actually in on this as well kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. And then you see um, Matthew go off and he's sent Elizabeth home to her husband, like uh, the doctor said. So he's like, oh, shit, something weird is going on. I have to go get her. And then you yeah. just see... Um, like her husband sitting in front of the TV with the headphones on and he has to sneak in and then right. finding the replica, like how yes. like much more formed. 
yeah, it's it's more it's farther along in the process. It's easier to see that they really are copies. Like, mm-hmm. and then so he wakes her up and and they escape kind of thing. And then he alerts the police. And when by the time he gets back there again, the body's gone. They've done a really good job of making it almost look like if you were in the dark, if you if you thought you know you saw something in there that it, like it almost did look human, but mm-hmm. it wasn't. Like, yeah. there's no longer the pod in there or anything. You know, you're questioning even whether the police are in it in on it at this point in time. Like, who's in on this? Who's not? Kind of thing. Yeah, who's just incompetent and ignorant, and who is uh, acting? And again, there's all the relationship paranoia of like the police are like, "What is happening?" Like, you're saying that your wife has gone with this man, and there's probably underlying like you know abuse connections or something yeah. like that, like allegories to like spousal abuse and stuff in there. And her husband is just like, yeah, grab some clothes. Like, is she coming home tonight? And yeah. Matthew's like, no, she's not. And he's like, why are you acting so weird? And then he's right. he's really like, yeah. Oh. He's, he's not arousing any sort of suspicion in how calm he's acting, right? Yeah, yeah. And the police aren't picking up on that. And then you see them look at each other, and but it's not a super meaningful look. Like the um, yeah, like no, Jack and not. the police officer look at each other, but it's it's knowing, but it's not obvious that it's it very, is it's more subtle. Yeah, it's so subtle. And then yeah, so then the whole group, like the four of our main heroes, decide to like camp out together. This is where Matthew goes outside to sleep. Uh, to almost like watch guard and then you know this is like one of the grossest scenes in the whole film is we finally see how the pod people are grown right mm -hmm. and one of the grossest scenes of body horror we literally watch as a full matthew as well as the rest of the characters are birthed out of these meat flowers Mm -hmm. and grown rapidly and that's where like i was literally yelling at the tv like wake up wake up wake up yeah and the scene goes on almost like you know a half minute too long like longer than your brain can handle you see like a weird fetus come out and then it grows and it's like gasping and he's still sleeping and his eyes are kind of fluttering and is like he's twitching a little bit like you're dreaming and then um it's not fully him and then like suddenly it's like looking a lot more like him like it's his face and his um, hair his hair eventually and like i was like how are these ones being done so goddamn quickly like this that's where it's like other ones it seemed like a very slow infection but now these aliens are really figuring out how to replicate in like 20 minutes yeah well we don't know how long this has gone on necessarily like it it could be sped up and and the other part of all this too right is something that we've seen earlier is when the characters are starting to be changed there's all that like wispy hairs on them Mm. at at that point like you start to see like the it's framed really well like there's the little like piece of skin almost that's like floating in the wind on his face like it's all it's all really gross and scary Mm. and he's sleeping and then elizabeth you start to hear elizabeth yell his name no um, it was nancy was it nancy it was nancy yeah because she wasn't Uh, going to sleep like her she was watching uh the people inside kind of but yeah and then so so he finally wakes up and sees like around him that everything is growing, uh, right? Yeah. And he's literally like yelling at her, like, wake everybody up. Like they're getting us while we're sleeping. Mm. And so so that's like also kind of scary in and of itself is like the way that they get you is 
a they have to they must have to have a pod around you so that the pod can connect to you and and take mm. your dna but b it happens while you're sleeping it happens when you're completely incapacitated yeah i think it can happen really slowly if like just a little flower is there but yeah. once there's big pods by you it can happen super quick and yeah like the the not sleeping part like these people have been paranoid for like a few days already and then right. now they're like really connecting the dots that we can't sleep and like yeah. sleep deprivation plus all the paranoia like they go crazy it's almost exponential horror at this point like yeah. as the further and further that we get into this the more and more like absolutely hopeless it feels mm-hmm. like you know how are these characters going to survive something that requires them to not asleep basically yeah. Yeah. right like all of it is just is just really really good well-written horror so like he falls asleep i start getting really into them like i'm zoned the fucking i'm not watching yeah. over my shoulder <laughs> for annabelle anymore yeah she that's when she starts creeping down the stairs and i'm in like a pitch black room and my back is to like the stairs and she's slowly creeping and i'm like oh no no i'm like yelling at the tv and then he like goes inside gets everybody wakes uh elizabeth up and everything and then they are they start running and then he's like i'm going back like you guys keep running and then he gets the shovel and (laughs) yeah and like he just caves in his own face of his replica. Like it's really great. Like again, I rewatched that scene as well. And like, he sits there for a minute and he goes to Elizabeth to kill yeah. that. And he can't and he's like, do it. He right? can't do it. It's too much like her. Yeah. It's it's like comparable to zombie films, right? Yeah, when it's yeah. like that person that you've known, you've always known your whole life kind of thing. Yeah. It's it's very comparable to that. And then he has to look at himself. He looks, has to literally look at, down at himself and cave his own face in. Yeah. And like the way they filmed that, like it was so brutal. Like yeah. that. And then like at that point, I'm like swearing at the TV and then she grabs me from behind <laughs> and I like get up almost hit her oh. I'm, I'm like fuck you <laughs> yeah oh my god that would have been literally like nightmare inducing yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had to take a break from watching it for like five ten minutes just to calm down were you just like explaining to her like what was happening at yeah, that point yeah. too like you yeah. have no idea what you just like stumbled into yeah and what you like it was perfect timing to be jump scared in real life because like yeah. I was just so engrossed in the disgusting like the face smashing and the body growing ah and and like that's when like all the pod people show up and like we hear like formally their scream like their collective scream as they first of all they see like one of their own being brutally killed and then they go after like the humans right Mm -hmm. i've realized at this point that there's too many people that have been infected and again it's exponential horror but it's also like the growth of something like this happening, and this is where I'll tie this back to the thing, is in the thing, the scientist does all the calculations and mm-hmm. he's like, oh, there's a 78% chance that one of us is already infected. Yeah. Oh, if if this gets to the main world, this is going to like completely like take over humanity within, I don't know, like 100 days or something like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I was sitting there and I was like, and realizing this and starting to think about like all of the people who are already infected. And I was like, this must be 30 to 50% of the people, like probably 50% or more of people in San Francisco are already infected at this point in time, right? Yeah, I want to say like 80% or higher. Like it's because earlier we see her following her husband and right. he's just passing random things between like groups of people yes. who are, yeah. they're, they're not, they don't 
meet regularly. She didn't recognize any of them. And they're all just like meeting for like three seconds, passing something over. And then they nod and like don't acknowledge each other and just keep walking. Yeah, it's the rapid pods that they're passing along. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of the thing is like, that's really what it hits me at this point is like I was I'm and I'm thinking back and I'm like there must have been at least 30% of the population infected in the mm-hmm. onset of this movie because you know even at Dr. Kimner's party there's a chunk of people in that point and like you know to think about it like all these different people that are all like coming from different walks of life that all have never met before like to all have all of these people infected there's no way that a large part of the population is not already lost kind of thing yeah. and that's where and- like that's where, like, the, also the hive mind aspect. We haven't even brought that up. Like, I, I don't think I've watched a full hive mind movie before. This might be my first hive mind concept. Yeah. Yeah. Because for sure. they they do have to, like, meet up and stuff, but they communicate. They understand, like, the whole group. They're all on the same page. Everything makes sense. Like, they have to organize a little bit in, like, vocally, like, you see the people on like the the fog or the speaker like telling them like oh go over here pick up this yeah yeah for sure and so like that's where again understanding where we've actually where we are actually are in the story it really brings it home that like that the last part of this movie i don't i i really didn't see there being a happy ending and i really didn't know where we were going but i didn't feel good about the last half of this movie yeah yeah especially cuz they're running and they're also like kind of dumb characters in in some sometimes, and then they're smart characters other times. Where like they're running, they're at the pier, and then they see a helicopter, and Jeff Goldblum is like, "I'm gonna go to the helicopter because it's hopefully only in this city. Like that's one of our only hopes is that it's localized, and hopefully right. that's like the the Coast Guard or something like that, <laughs> like <laughs> coming in to save us. I don't know why I did the Boston thing, but um, the Coast Guard like military is coming in to save us. He had to check. Because right. at this point, I think they understand that it's probably everywhere, but they don't know. Well, there's so, so many people chasing them too, right? Yeah, yeah. And they they know they know at this point that like that nobody's coming to help them. It feels like locally, like the police yeah. are in on it, and the garbage people, and like there's just it seems to have like permeated through the top of of San Francisco at this point, and that they're not going to get help from the typical people that they would be getting help from. Yeah, yeah. They can't rely on anyone locally. So, like, there's still those glimmers of hope that they have, and then they just get smashed. (laughs) Yeah. And then we go into, like, you know, like the red light district of San Francisco, basically, right? Mm -hmm. And I thought that was actually a really interesting idea to even explore in this film as well, because we've seen that going to, we know now that going to sleep is what inevitably gets you basically because you go to sleep somebody puts a pod beside you game over yeah and we go into the red light district the 24 hours like people are awake at night and everything like that and that kind of feels like maybe the last safe haven of this world yeah potentially i didn't think about it that way but i also felt like they were really trying to get them into a dark room like they were setting up traps for anybody who's left and yes i was also kind of mind blown like how dedicated they were to actually getting every single person like why do they need every single person and why are they like so vehemently trying to find um our characters i i think they're just trying to destroy like and consume all of humanity basically like 
eventually we get a little bit of exposition from Kibner yeah. about, you know, they came from this dying world, like that they remove all of the negative emotions and, and positive. Basically, yeah, and positive and and they've just basically boiled it down to like we are a species of survival and that's all all life is is survival Mm. and so what we do is we've like we travel the universe looking for habitable worlds to take over control and survive on kind of thing and that's actually a really interesting idea that i i was thinking about while i was watching this movie as well and it kind of explains the reason for the pod people taking over the bodies is and i'm going to compare this to something like war of the worlds like a very classic alien invasion story is the reason why in War of the Worlds that the aliens are no longer victorious is because our Earth is not habitable for them. And eventually, mm-hmm. like, the microbes, the diseases and infections of our world eventually eradicate them. And we've seen that kind of idea explored in other things. You know, like, it's obvious that one species is not going to grow and adapt on in the same conditions as another species. And therefore, mm-hmm. they wouldn't be able to live on the same world necessarily without ways to survive and so it just seems so obvious that like why wouldn't you take over the dna of something that obviously is so dominant in that world and so like easy to live and adapt on that and this is like a a species that has evolved one level over to they're not even adapting at their like in their own environment they're able to adapt at other environments by taking over and controlling the dominant species of that environment yeah like they learned how we adapted exactly and, and, they, and s- they understand it so yeah. well it, it's such an intelligent way to to frame like an alien invasion yeah and like they knew they had to take all the garbage men so they could like hide all the fluffy stuff and that's it's all about adapting like yeah. and he says it at and one point too like we are in a we are an adaptive species and that is something that we see throughout the film and especially as as retroactively as we're thinking about everything that's leading up to every point in time that we've gotten to in the film like everything just clicks so well together Mm. and then what i really love too is um nancy figures out how to walk among them yes and we see that multiple times and that's something that's explored in like other horror like especially zombie stuff right yeah like the walking dead one of the in the first season how they like cover themselves and walk like a zombie yeah, there's so many themes and ideas that this it kind of does connect to like zombie lore. Like I think if if you're a fan of the zombie genre, like this is kind of adjacent to zombie movies as well. Yeah, yeah, very much so. But yeah, they like she knows how to infiltrate them and that's actually something that's really important to her character as well, right? And and her and Jack being on the fringes of society, like they're not quite in like, you know, the high society kind of part of san francisco is like she automatically is on board with everything going on she's automatically yeah. like this she must be aliens it. yeah yeah i believe it i i think it's aliens i think we're in deep trouble like there's no doubt from her mm. like that this that this doesn't make sense that this couldn't happen logically yeah. and her character is actually like f- complex in a certain way because like we see her as uh she believes really easily mm-hmm. which like makes yeah like like you said she's on the like the fringe of society kind of uh but she's very emotional when in like all of the scenes but she's the one who can walk among them with no emotion she's like you just have to lose all emotion in your face don't react to anything and yeah um yeah she's the sole survivor really so yeah as far as we know 
Yeah, 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 for sure. Like oh. she, even at the part where that she's met, uh, re-met up with them again. Jack's been lost, and actually winding back before before that scene is really when Kibner reveals what's going on and that yeah. like you know they're from a dying world i thought like all the exposition was really interesting too like the fact that they came from a dying world like i was i was sitting there thinking about this like because he was like trying to pacify them like you know like everything mm. in an hour you're not going to care that you know you're going to be different like because you're going to be the same you're just not going to have the emotions like anymore yeah. like you're going to be one of us kind of thing and and like i think uh elizabeth's husband is like yeah. it's painless don't worry like everybody that you see come back and like they know that the main characters understand what's going on they're like man it's so it's so nice being part of everybody else like right yeah. and you could still enjoy like all of the material things in your life like yeah. it's still gonna all be there like nothing's really changed all that much yeah even though you know we've seen and we still don't know like what happens to the bodies of the people who have no we do like the real we know eventually body. what happens yeah, yeah we okay, know eventually okay, okay. but at this point in time like when they're trying to convince them mm. we don't know like how horrific it is to become a pod person yeah yeah like you're literally your body is dying and you're being reborn but like how much of that do you feel we'll never know right and like mm -hmm. the pod people are ever going to like admit to the horrifying yeah. feeling of of your body being sucked dry yeah and like to the pod person, they're just being born, which yeah. as someone who's been born before, you don't remember it. You don't feel it. Mm -hmm. It's pretty horrific probably as like, yeah, it's a horrific yeah. process, but um, <laughs> to them it was nice and painless. Yeah. 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 So, so yeah, Jeff Goldblum's character gets killed. And then, like I said, it explains everything. And like at this point too, I was thinking, yeah, these pod people are trying to pacify them and everything, but they're coming from a dying world. Like, is their way of life actually even better than, mm -hmm. like, are they just going to suck this world dry and then move on to the next? Like, is that their, their literal, like, they are consumers. Like, they are yeah. they are here to just, like, devour and then leave again. I don't know. That's a hard question because you see how organized and intelligent they are. Mm -hmm. Everything is purely efficient. Yeah, and... it's kind of unanswerable. Like, uh, we'll never know, yeah, but, yeah. like, that's kind of how I almost read it is, like, yes, they're they're m way more advanced than us, but for whatever reason, their world died, too. Like, they had mm -hmm. to leave to and, and find ways to consume outside of their natural habitat. And is that better? Is is all of this, like, consumption? And, and that's part of the theme of the movie, right? It's, yeah, like, yeah. this is a very anti-capitalistic movie. But it, it was just interesting thoughts that I was having while I was watching this. Yeah. And so then, yeah, you were saying, like, how Nancy, when they uh, regroup, is saying, you know, like, we have to assimilate with them. We have to pretend that we have no emotions and everything. And they, you know, they're trying to do that. Mm -hmm. And... And that's when one of like another one of like just the weird off-putting things happens yeah. is we see a human dog hybrid like pod person hybrid comes out and it actually it actually makes sense too because we see like as they're walking around we see the homeless people outside sleeping beside pods and it yeah. just so happens that the banjo player who has the dog is sleeping beside his dog and there's a pod there and it just so happens that like the pod accidentally has cross like bred them yeah and there's even a point now that i'm thinking about it early on in the film and this is like in the opening act of the film where elizabeth is explaining how plants can like crossbreed and how like this yeah. plant might be a crossbreed so 
you know, again, like all of this stuff that kind of fits in like retroactively and makes sense. It all, it kind of reminded me of Annihilation in that moment a little bit. Like obviously Annihilation with the bear is like very special and very unique in and of itself. But like Mm. the dog with the face is, is absolutely kind of terrifying, especially, you know, if you're uh, Elizabeth and you see that, like Mm -hmm. that would definitely take me out of things. Like I would, I would definitely have lost my mind there. Yeah. Because they're, they're trying to assimilate and walk around as they've learned from Nancy. And then uh, this happens and you're like, ah, and then that catches like all of the uh, pod people see them and they're like, oh, those people aren't actually assimilated. Yeah, exactly. And Nancy, Nancy masks it still. She, she like doesn't react to it and stays in the pod people group. I thought she screamed a little bit and then they started looking around and like, but the dog kind of threw. No, I rewatched it. I rewatched it this morning and she like looks at it and like kind of like makes a small face and then goes right back to what she's doing. And so she actually stays there while Matthew and Elizabeth run away at that point because Elizabeth starts freaking out and Matthew has to go with her. Yeah, Nancy does. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really. Oh, so many like tiny details like that that are just so so perfect Mm. and then so they run and where they end up is in the harbor area of san francisco it's like the old industrial area where all the big freight ships come in and there's this like factory that they find where all of the pods like the the quick pods are being Mm -hmm. bred like in in this big warehouse and it's like a whole big operation and you're like at that point i'm like it's over. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's no there's no going back. How do they stop this, right? Yeah. And Matthew still has hope at this point, right? Whereas Elizabeth like has more or less given up. Like she has given She's up. She's so tired. Yeah. Well, and and I guess we didn't say this at all, but like they shot themselves up full of speed and yeah. where whereas Kibner when Kimner caught them in the health department he actually uh put some sedatives into them yeah and like at that point i was like he's he said i'm giving you a mild sedative you won't care about any of this in an hour and then i was like oh but they just took the speed how much is it going to counteract like how long yeah 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 and so like matt so then you know they go and see like the factory and everything and they hear the ship and they hear the music and that's where Matthew is like, I like I need to go, and I th- I think this might be our answer. This might be help. Yeah. And like Elizabeth is so given up, like at this yeah. point, like she's just completely like given up. She's depressed. She's given up on life, basically. They said I love you finally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there's all of that, and so he goes and he realizes at the ship, and and you know, amazing grace is playing, but yeah. it's like we realize that actually the ship is there to transport all of the pods worldwide yeah and at that point you're like who is stopping this nobody is stopping this because this is it's it's over it's mm-hmm. literally over at this point like i like that's where i give up hope too yeah and so then uh matthew goes back and he finds that she's fallen asleep and he tries to wake her up and this is the second like scariest part of the whole movie right yeah. is is we finally see the transformation happen like to its its end point and like i'm so glad we got to see that too because like leaving it up for like leaving it vague wouldn't work but seeing her face fall into itself and like get pulled by like it's like the moss stuff from inside like just like uh, the husk yeah 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 it just leaves like coconut husk basically and then that finally like my first question in the movie one of my first questions was what is all that stuff in the back of that 
garbage truck and then yeah. they answer it fully and like conclusively so well uh, it was yeah. disgusting it was it was really gross and scary and then she pops up naked behind him mm. and pure unadulterated horror at the fact that like the person that he loves has given up and died mm. and and now this pod person who like is her but also isn't her is coming after him and, and trying to convince him yeah and also because they're the work spouse like he's wanted her for a long time and now mm. she's naked in front of him i thought he was just gonna fall like he was just gonna give up and be like like if this is the only way i get to be with you then so be it right right and so yeah he in rage he like completely destroys the facility which is mm-hmm. awesome uh it's a really cool scene and like he's fighting all of them and they're and she's in there like still like naked screaming at him ah! and everything yeah. yeah yeah and he's like he somehow gets away then we get to the closer of the film where we see him and he's walking around like observing everything like he's observing the children being create all sent to become pod people mm-hmm. And he see he like just observes like silently this world and what's become basically. Yeah, and you don't really see any kids except for the very beginning and the very end, and yeah. like that again just drives home the hopelessness. Yeah, exactly. He even goes into work and he observes Elizabeth working mm. and and everybody in the office together. Do you think at this point he's a pod person or he's still Matthew? I think at that point he was still Matthew. I think so too. And and that actually makes the ending of this movie hit even harder because yeah. I think that after seeing everything happening and and the absolute hopelessness and despair setting in and then watching Elizabeth just working there, I think he just gives up. Like yeah. I think that's that's literally what happens. I think like during that time of him walking around, he's so emotionless because everything's been ripped away anyway, so he's just observing. Yeah. Like he's lost all of his humanity already. Yeah. He goes back, observes, and then gives up. And then yeah, it's but we don't see that in the movie. No. Which it's, is amazing. It, it's so well done. It's it's so bleak and so like I'll I'll take it away from you. It is perfect. It yeah. is so perfect how it happens. Mm-hmm. And then and then the film closes, and this is like, oh. See, I think like the film when you see him cutting the news clippings again, because that's yes. his first scene. It's also like the beginning of the very last scene and you're still like he's just going through the motions of his regular life he normally comes into work and is clipping papers that day's papers uh like the notes that he wants to keep then you see him fall into the line of people walking down the hallway so perfectly i was like he's really assimilated like he's faking it and then yeah, he's just walking and walking and uh, and like the way like where is he going because i don't think he would have to go to what was it like the parliament building or like the town yeah. hall or something like that yeah and then nancy shows back up again yeah and he's just walking like into that parliament building amazing grace is playing like mm. really twisted and dark yeah, yeah. and and she's like oh like matthew like I can't believe we made it out together. Yeah. And you still think at this point that it's really Matthew. Yeah. And then he looks at her and he's and raises he like his points. arm. Yeah. And the, the like pod person scream comes out and that's how this movie ends. And literally with her crying and yeah, it zooms into his face when she realizes that she's like, she's it. She's the only one yeah. left. 
it zooms into his face and then it cuts to black and the credits roll silently and i was like mm-hmm. sitting there like jaw on the floor like i can't believe that's how this movie just ended that's amazing yeah yeah <laughs> like imagine being in the theater to watch oh my this. god I would have sat in the theater in the dark, in the quiet for probably like five minutes afterwards. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I that's basically how I sat after watching this movie. Mm. It's such a bleak ending that fits so well with the entire movie. Like it's almost and we're starting to get into effects and filming now here. But that actually wasn't the intended way that they were going to end this movie. Like, you know, Hollywood likes to have a Hollywood ending to film yeah. like it's you don't like to have mov- films that or have a lot of films that like end really dark because you want the audience to be really happy, like, you know, like the go to this imaginary world and the you want the the heroes to be victorious kind of thing. And so I think the original ending is like, or she finds Matthew and then they kind of look at each other and like kind of give each other a nod that they're like still kind of legit mm-hmm. and surviving. And then last minute, they just decided to switch it to this. And, and part of it was because they kind of discussed it together. It was uh, the director... And then the screenwriter and I think the producer, like the night before, were like, Hmm. what if we made this ending a lot darker? So I think Donald Sutherland was the only actor even on set who knew about that. Like, I don't think that Hmm. Nancy's actor knew that he was going to do that to her. Like, I didn't I I really don't think that there that anybody was aware or anybody had any idea that that was going to happen. If they pulled that off, that's amazing. I would love to yeah. like confirm that. But yeah. yeah, that's absolutely awesome. They actually didn't even film the original intended shot of like them getting away together, that little bit of uh hope because they didn't want the studio to like veto it and like take mm. the other shot instead. So, it it's really really important to the film. I think that it it's what makes this film like even more impactful is the way that it ends that Matthew just gives up hope basically. Yeah, yeah. And it decides to assimilate, and and so I'm so I'm so happy that they did it. Like the they didn't even know like the studio executives didn't even know that's how it was going to end because they they thought the script was going to end like that mm. uh, with the little glimmer of hope until they got to see like the the cut. They actually screened it together in George Lucas's house. Is oh no way found out how it was going to end. Yeah, hmm. man, that's awesome because uh, this would not have been a cult classic if not for that. Yeah. That that's part of what makes it so great is the yeah. original ending. Yeah, I'm so glad they got it right. Like how many other movies with great concepts didn't get the ending right? And like yeah. I bet I haven't looked at it, but there are multiple versions of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Um, Correct. Like this was a remake, and it's based off a book. So yep. um, I want to know. Like I've heard that this is the best of all yes. of them, basically, but also the best ending. So it is considered. Well, we'll talk. You know, we'll talk sequels, prequels, and reboots right now. So the original Body Snatchers. It's called the Body Snatchers novel from 1955 by uh, Jack Finney. Yeah, the big difference is I think in the end, I think that the aliens themselves can only live for about five years and then they all die. So mm. basically, like they live for five years, they consume everything that they can, and then they move on to the next world. Okay. So. I think the way that it ends is they basically convince the aliens to leave Earth, like that uh, mm. that the freedom fighters essentially aren't aren't going to like let them go, and so there's more resistance than they're used to, and they end up leaving. So like there's you know positive ending there, and then 
shortly after the book comes out, Invasion of the Body Snatchers is a, the adaptation, the original adaptation from 1956. And I'm pretty sure even in that movie, it ends with Benel kind of saving the day and living you know the fbi kind of swooping in and saving them because it's a small town setting it's not like san francisco so they changed it to like a a setting which can be more easily quarantined Mm. and again actually that's part of the reason why this film was able to have such a bleak ending is because the director like we mentioned the director of the original has a cameo in this he's the Mm. taxi driver he like they discussed with him like what's your biggest regret of the the original film and he was like i didn't want that ending i wanted a darker ending to Mm. this i thought i thought this deserved a darker ending and that's when they decided to switch it oh awesome yeah that's where like good collaboration between like the people who really understand the material is so important well and this is even kind of uh you could even consider this and it technically in canon is not but you could if you want consider this as a sequel to the 1956 film because the 1956 film plays takes place in that small town and it's the same like actor Kevin McCarthy appears in this one and so there's been people who have like connected the two and said you know you can think of it as like kevin mccarthy is aware that this is taking place and it happened in his small town and now it's growing Mm. and so he's running around to different cities trying to convince people to like you know that something's happening basically yeah yeah and so so we're taking place like in a continuation of that story which is it's a cool idea i think that it makes it the films interconnected and that you have to watch the first one but like you said this is considered if not the greatest one of the greatest remakes of all time and it's so well done. It's so special to me that, like, I will definitely watch the 1956 version at some point. But to me, like, this feels so definitively mm-hmm. like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, like the Invasion of the Body Snatchers, even after just this first watch. Yeah. That, like, yeah. I'm never going to see the 1956 version the same way. Exactly. Same way, I don't think. So when, when I was watching, I was considering that that um, it seems like the way that san francisco got so covered by this was it has to do with the rain so wherever it rains a lot Mm. then the spores can actually like become alive in the rain and then go down merge with the plants and then start um infecting people so i I was like it can't like it's not raining all over the world so obviously like there there is still some hope somewhere else in the world that they'll sort through this but again we don't know the exact timeline but the speed with which they replicate especially once they have those quick pods it's crazy well again it's exponential too right like one person's the time that it takes to go from like one person to a thousand people it's like it's gonna be you know, that might take a month or something. But after yeah. that, like, you know, you're going to double every day, basically. Yeah. Like, the whole city is going to be gone in, like, yeah, every night. So, yeah. like, the whole city is gone in, like, you know, two months. Like, yeah. that's that's all it takes in this, or, or less. And you're not going to notice it when there's a 1,000 people out there. Mm-hmm. You, you're going to notice it when there's 50, 30 to 50% of the population suddenly is yeah. sick. Yeah. And even, like, again, this day and age with, like, COVID, like, you know, there's interesting comparisons between mm-hmm. the two there. Like... Oh, this movie just holds up because its ideas and themes are just like so timeless. Yeah, that it's it's really fascinating. It, yeah, like uh, there's there's very few movies that hold up in in the way that this one does. Yeah, and uh, what I found cool too was almost every let's say decade that one of these movies comes out, it's yep. tied with a 
global or like at least American local phenomenon. Like uh, the first one was like the Red Scare. And then this one came out right after Watergate. And yeah, it's connected to that. It's also, you know, like the decade after Vietnam as well, like very important to American culture. And there's so many crazy things happening today. And like people even today are like, they think of other people sometimes as like NPCs in a video game. Yeah. So like, it's almost like that. Like, like we can see the connection no matter where or when you're watching this, like you could see the connection. It's apathy timely. towards like environmentalism. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, like uh, there's so much going on with this movie thinking about this as well. And I, I want to come back to sequels, prequels and reboots right after this like thought process. But I was thinking about this movie and there's, obviously like the ever-present connection to capitalism and capitalism even like as it's changed and adapted over since 1978 like this movie is still really hits home at like you know the negatives of capitalism and Mm. assimilation conformity all of that sort of thing like i thought that this movie as somebody who's like just entering their 30s i think that there's no better time to watch a movie like this than in your 30s because you know your 20s are like that time of of a little bit of rebellion and like learning about yourself and who you are and like trying to find your place in this world. Yeah. Pure hopefulness. And then the thirties are such a, I feel like are such a weird time period in your life, right? Where you're starting to like get into your job and like, you know, like you're starting to see what the rest of your life is kind of looking like. And you understand like the world much more. Like you understand how interconnected everything is all of the things happening in the world affect your economy and then that affects the people around you. And like the, all we're seeing all of these ideas with social media, like just everywhere and like the information and misinformation, disinformation, like all of those things. Right. Yeah. For me, this hit like, especially hard. Like it just felt, you know, again, like you're, you're kind of settling in and you're kind of like looking at everything and you're like do i do i want to be a part of this machine like i i felt really like particularly connected to matthew and elizabeth's characters working Mm. at the health department there and you know seeing them and and there's a lot of like there's actually a lot of discussion about this film and the themes of this film online and part of those themes were like how it feels like matthew and elizabeth's characters were probably hippies in the 60s and mm. have now you know like matured and assimilated now in their 30s yeah and assimilated into yeah. this and <laughs> and so like that that i thought that was all really fascinating and such a really cool ex- exploration of that idea mm-hmm. and and where you fit and like are you just another cog in the machine basically yeah so all of that was really interesting um but going back to sequels prequels reboots and talking about like the original movie and the book like the books actually has really mixed reception when it comes out and then like each iteration since has kind of like changed and explored like deeper ideas of it like and and even the 1956 movie like there was big plot holes and and issues with the the idea of it and this movie kind of explores all of that deeper and it fixes like all the issues that the the previous adaptations have had at this point in time there are kind of some other remakes of this like you said like it one comes out almost like every decade it feels yeah, like yeah it's slowed down a bit recently yeah it has like there was a third version in 1993 called body snatchers fourth one 2007 called the invasion and then there's actually like some other loosely connected films like the faculty from 1998 is actually like very loosely based on invasion of the body snatchers and that's actually one of jess's like cult classic favorite movies so i'm gonna have to rewatch that one again after having watched this one 
because I, I think that's going to be put things into perspective a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And then there's a 2019 movie called Assimilate. I don't think a lot of people saw it, but that's also a film that very much is connected and and part of the DNA of of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Mm. Effects and filming. So a few things that I want to talk about with the effects and filming of this one. You know, you and I have already kind of talked a little bit about some of the way that this film is framed and, and, you know, the cinematography and how we both really loved it. Like the camera really does feel like another character almost. Yeah. In this. Yeah. It goes back to a few movies that we've watched like, uh, Harikiri. Yep. You didn't watch Cape fear with me. Did you? No, I didn't. Honestly, it kind of feels similar to Cape fear in the way that it's shot. Like it's almost like they're using like old style camera techniques. Right. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I always, I always love to see that in modern movies. Mm hmm. They actually like, and that's actually something that they were kind of going for is they wanted to keep some of the film noir aspects of the original adaptation. And yeah. and I think they did that very well. Yeah. Like the use of the camera was so good at adding to that. Um, just, like the whole feeling of the movie. Yeah. Like when he is going up the stairs in her house to grab her while she's asleep and like being doubled, um, mm-hmm. like that whole scene, like the the use of the camera, was so good. Just the different angles, yeah. and yeah, the, the use of lighting and everything, mm-hmm. and him breaking into like uh, her house, and like I actually I freeze framed it because I needed uh, I was just taking a break, go to the washroom or something, and like I when I freeze frame it, he's like got his like hand in through the door to like unlock the door and everything. And that like it's a really cool shot as well. Mm-hmm. Like something something that I noticed. Really appreciated all of that. Other just like fun little neat stuff, Donald Sutherland had to like they wanted him to have that weird curly hairstyle, and so basically like he was he had to get permed like every single day like in the pink <laughs> rollers. Uh, so if you can picture like the pink rollers, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that he was doing that. Um, he actually got hit by a car while he was filming. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, he he got hit by a Volkswagen Beetle, and so the the driver. <laughs> who hit him was like oh my god not you <laughs> uh like he was afraid he's gonna lose his job or something yeah yeah so we talked about the director of the original invasion of the body snatchers he plays a taxi driver he actually drove them around the city of san francisco like that was like actually them in the car driving around which is you don't see that very often in movies yeah. because of like the insurance fears and and funny enough like this is one where they probably shouldn't have done that because uh don siegel basically couldn't see like he i think he was like borderline legally blind at this point yeah. <laughs> donald sutherland and brooke adams in the back are like actually afraid because he can't drive or he shouldn't be able to try yeah. and like they they looked so nervous and like at that point in the movie it made sense too so like th- that that's an awesome little tidbit that like that was one of those real moments because yeah. yeah like he's looking in the mirrors they look in the mirrors they look wh- like where he's looking and they're like what what is he seeing right now? Or what yeah. is he seeing? <laughs> yeah, and for different reasons than we think on initial yeah. viewing. Yeah. I love this little detail. They obviously they asked Kevin McCarthy to come back for the and uh film this film. While they were preparing to shoot his scene, there was a naked homeless man that actually recognized him. <laughs> And he was like, oh, well, like, what are you guys filming? Uh, like, I like, I remember you from Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And then he was like, oh, I happen to be filming, like, the reboot of, of this <laughs> film. And the naked homeless guy was like, ah, the first one was better. And so, like, that was the joke on set was, like, they got their first review of the film, like, before they'd finished filming it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> 
Donald Sutherland actually decided he wanted to do his own stunts. And, you know, there's not a lot of, like, stunts in the film. But, like, in the end when he's, like, destroying the factory. Like, he actually filmed that himself. Destroying everything. There was no harness on him. Like, if he fell, he fell kind of deal. Mm, mm. When the the factory kind of explodes, he barely gets out of the way in time. Wow. There was actually an extra that got, like, really seriously injured from that because he didn't. Like, he missed the cue to get out of there, basically. Oh, no. So, yeah, really wild. I just saw something uh, the night after the movie's release. Someone put the pods around uh, Los Angeles and, like, freaked the hell out of people. It's such good advertising for the film, right? Yeah, yeah. It's so it's it's so off setting or like off putting. It's so works for this movie in particular because it's such a callback or like it has the same DNA as the old radio stories that they used yes. to put out. And then in like the War of the Worlds or Yeah, War of the Worlds is the 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 key one. Yeah, and like people were like calling the police and stuff. So that's so cool they did that. <laughs> uh, that's actually a point that the director philip kaufman actually made is that like he said that the 1956 film was like like really good radio from like mm. the previous generation right and this does again this does connect it's similar to cape fear where it just it feels really grounded in like the old style of filmmaking that we don't see as much anymore but is still like just as phenomenal to watch as it did back then right like yeah, yeah. you know if, if you don't watch old movies you really do miss out on some of these techniques that are are just so exciting to watch. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I kept seeing the Transamerica Pyramid in San Francisco. I had no idea that that was a real building, but that was like heavily like anybody I guess from that time would have known like oh this is San Francisco. I had no idea that it was San Francisco. I had to look mm-hmm. up that building, the like weird pyramid tall building. Right. Um so yeah. Oh, this is something that I didn't really, I didn't know if I noticed uh, consciously, but it's something that's actually really interesting framing wise, again, going to the camera, is often the way that the everything's shot is the character is looking through like frosted kind of glass and how that kind of distorts your view. It's something that of an old film technique to kind of emphasize like where symbolism and metaphors are mm. and also trying to portray that like, things aren't what they seem kind of real so it's just all of that little like subtle film cinematography that's really cool yeah and like it's awesome to see when people like everything just worked for the timing of this movie to allow the people involved to do it right like they they connected everything like there's so many details and like it's like no expense was spared at least like no creative thought was spared this is one of those movies that it's in and of itself it's a remake but it again it's considered one of the best remakes of all time but you don't need to ever remake this because it's so perfectly encapsulates Mm. like everything like the like you said the only reason why you would ever want to remake it is if you wanted to maybe change the themes of the movie to fit like the modern viewing but it just even even now like we were saying your viewing experience in your particular point in life is going to you're going to draw your own conclusions and interpretations Mm -hmm. of the film which is really cool score the movie so this was sound edited by ben burt who was actually one of the 
most influential people on the set of the original Star Wars, uh, which had come out the year before. He actually created a lot of like the original sounds and mm. ambiance from Star Wars. So it's it's really cool that that connection is there. It's probably why George Lucas also got like that express cut viewing uh, yeah, early yeah. on. They, and they were conscious of like we want the nature and like everything from like what you would hear in a city to like really come through or early on in the film. And then eventually as things go on, like we really just want to hear the industrial parts, like the garbage trucks and stuff like that. And, and kind of make things quiet and unsettling at that. In that yeah. Point of view. Like life got quiet because like it had changed. And then it was just the mechanics of an efficient species in a city. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. And the pod growing scene, so that what they were using for sounds for that were uh, a heartbeat from an ultrasound from his pregnant wife. The pod screamers are pig squeals. Mm. They mixed a bunch of other sounds in as well. Like it's a very unique sound. And again, I would relate it back to the thing and and how the things scream one particular moment in time in that film it's so memorable like good audio quality good like sound effects can really sell a movie yeah and they nailed it it's um i wish i could be a foley artist just to create those sounds like i they're my favorite thing in almost all of these types of movies yeah and, i fully agree like and it's, like it's, the heartbeat was so harrowing like just and like suspenseful yeah yeah mm. fully agree like it it's it's really the unsung hero of some of the greatest movies of all time like yeah. you, you know, you, like you think about it a little bit when you think about Jaws or something like that. But a great score can really make or break a film like yes. this. All the right pieces came together for this movie. I agree. Legacy. So obviously, Pod People. It's literally the zeitgeist of Pod People. Like um, maybe you know, the last ten years, that idea has kind of gotten a little bit quieter. But growing up, it was something that I was fully aware of, like the idea of Pod People. Yeah, and. Uh, the pod people scream at the end like that has been replicated in like we were like all of our favorite um like comedy cartoons like adult cartoons it's been in like almost everything it's been referenced so many times and like i'm glad i finally got to see it this is it's very similar to um so soylent green for that aspect yeah a little bit some aspects of it i definitely thought about soylent green it, it crossed my mind as i watched it like uh, especially the the factory settings as well. And what's really interesting about this is when it first came out, like, and this is something that we've maybe seen with a lot of the great sci-fi or horror movies that we've talked about is initial responses to movies like this can always be, or are often seem to be very either mixed or even sometimes negative. Like this was a, a pretty like controversial movie at the time. And part of it was its status as a remake because the first one was considered to be a cult movie, like very well done and everything. Yeah. A lot of people were kind of put off by that. A lot of critics, there are people who are put off by the filmmaking style, maybe like some of the pacing, even people had issue, which, which is kind of interesting. Also like, would it be considered a PG movie today? I don't think so. No, no, there's nudity in it. Like exactly, this is, but this it's definitely an R-rated movie. Still, I think no. I I think it was it came out as PG something. Uh, I don't know. This is definitely an R-rated movie. Oh, it is PG. Yeah, nineteen seventy eight. Yeah. What? Exactly. Yeah. That's wild. I guess huh. it's not like overt nudity. Like you see her twice, and like yeah. it's not central. It's just, and she's kind of behind bushes. I I don't know. 
Yeah, no, it, it's 13 plus in Canada, 14A Ontario here. So, yeah, it, it but it's PG in the US. Yeah. So that's that's wild. I, I didn't notice that at all. I don't think at that time it should have been PG, but whatever. So that that also maybe had an impact on the rating. But yeah, over time, she's grown to become known as like one of the greatest sci-fi horrors of all time. I need to rewatch this again, and I'm really excited to rewatch this again. And first viewing, like this really feels like a, an important movie. I'm yeah. really, really glad that we watched this one. I agree. I wish I convinced Annabelle, like I tried a little bit harder to convince her to watch it because the pacing was right for her to watch like an older movie like this. And I think she actually would have really enjoyed it. And yeah, I enjoyed the hell out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, let's talk personal reviews. Uh, so Jess didn't really watch this one with me either. She kind of watched it. Mm. She was paying attention to other stuff, but then she kind of got a little bit more into this movie than I was expecting as we were watching it. But yeah, for me, like this is an important horror movie for me, sci-fi horror. This definitely goes into my top 10 list like of, of sci-fi horror. I think that I'm going to have to rewatch it a few more times. But it's up there with the thing on the first viewing. Like, it, it was really, really good. I agree. For me, it's like I don't like uh, a lot of horror. I'll watch mm. some of it. But this is like the only type of horror that I'll watch is sci-fi horror, really. It's way up there. It's better than um, not. I'm going to say that I think I like this better than the original Alien. I was just going to say that. Like, yeah. I was like, is it better than Alien? And I think it is. You know, Aliens is an action horror. It's a little bit different, like yeah. an action sci-fi horror. So it's a little bit of a different movie. And I don't think you're comparing apples to apples here. But the original Alien is a bit of a slow burner sci-fi mm. horror. It's And it's really good. Like, don't get me wrong. The original yeah. Alien movie is in my top 100 movies of all time. But this one might be higher. I, I really, really liked this movie a lot. It's so it's so smart and subtle. Like they mm-hmm. that's that's what elevates it for me is like it's not for there's no like actiony macho stuff. There's like it's just so psychological. It just comes down to like there was a passionate director who really loved the source material and wanted to like elevate it. And it seems like everybody who was involved in the project was just again like very passionate about what they were doing and Mm. it really transpires through like all of these small details that we're talking about like how you know you notice the garbage trucks later or you notice the garbage trucks we don't really understand how that all connects and then later like they show you why Mm -hmm. that's important to everything they don't tell you they never go outright and say oh the dump trucks must be collecting all the bodies that's just something that you have to infer and and that kind of like lack of hand-holding is something that as you and i uh, as big moviegoers and even like you know consumers of other types of media like reading books and all mm. that sort of stuff that's something that you and i can really appreciate yeah that's exactly it i i would expect to see this movie in my top five list at the end of the year hmm. i that's how much i like this movie like i i will say one step higher i loved this movie They're like this is this is so much a blake movie like if if you're into the thing, if you're into like horror, if you're into like horror sci-fi, like Alien, like this is this is much watch material. This is like if you're into Stephen King, like mm. any anything like of of those vibes. Like if if horror or sci-fi are in your sphere of interest, you need to see this. Yeah, yeah. Like the the age of it shouldn't detract from the quality. Like if you if you love that this genre definitely it's up there. like you have to watch it it's a definitely a must watch yeah 
I didn't add anything to what you said, but <laughs> I'm losing it. Uh, it's okay. Again, this is this is incredible. Like everything comes together really well, and and I'm I'm so happy. Like this is again, this is the perfect movie for somebody who's seen a lot of movies. When you asked me the question of like what's something that's been on your list that you've heard about but never seen, like this was so perfect for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like that's what I love about doing this podcast is finding those like there's there's so many reasons to watch like all these other ones that we want to watch and we end up watching all this like newer media and things like that but when you go back you have a list of like oh i've heard so many things and i've seen so many references about this one thing i would love to understand it fully this like embodies that whole reason this like that's why i do this podcast i think like i want to understand more about where all of our good media comes from and it's from things like this it takes a little bit of time to get into something like this you know like you and i have been passionate about movies for a long time Mm -hmm. and you know we've watched all of the like top 250 movies we've seen the thing we've seen alien and everything else and invasion of the body snatchers is only like a 7.4 on rotten tomatoes so it's not Mm. something that's gonna like immediately that you're going to think of when you think of like a good sci-fi horror. But, and again, it just, sometimes it comes down to like certain genres are not going to connect with a certain portion of the population and therefore just going to have a lower rating, like because a lower percentage of people are going to inherently connect with it. And there's nothing, you know, you could do about that. But if that, this is something along the lines of something that you already enjoy, like, Oh my God, this is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I was speechless when I finished this movie mm. and and sat there. I let the credits roll like in silence and just thought about this movie. Yeah. There's, do you have any detractors, things you caught that you were like, oh, why'd they do that? Or like this type of acting I didn't like or anything like that? So the only two criticisms that I had, and, and I'll say had, was the first one being Dr. Kibner, and I felt like, you know, the psychiatrist aspect, and then like slowly dawning on me that he might be a pod person kind mm-hmm. of thing. That was that was a really cool, like, series of thought processes yeah. that took me to get there, and, and even like the paranoia of that setting in. Yeah. The only criticism that I'll give this movie to say that it's not like, not perfect is that the pacing is great however i think that they probably could have cut five minutes of running around near the end yeah yeah i thought that that might have been just a little bit overdone although for what they were showing you it's just like again it's just more like thoughts about this world to live in your head rent free like when they go to the airport and they're basically like pulling people out of their cars who they think are humans. And like like this whole system already developed to like, you know, keep people from getting out, like keep it, this all contained. And they know that they are going to try and get out and where, where are they going to go to the airport? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's like little details like that where it's like, Oh, you know, like maybe you didn't need that, but at the same time, like it's something that just like, you know, a week from now, something like that might pop in my head and I'll be like, Oh yeah. Like I, I guess that they did that and that kind of explains this part of this mm-hmm. world kind of in a way yeah. and just how in control of it the yeah. the aliens were already. The control was so important. One acting detractor from this movie or criticism I have is it's 
1978 and the women are act like when they're scared they're like shaking their head screaming like over the top it's overacted but they had that was the time that's yeah, all i can I, say about i would that. agree with you yeah there's definitely like i'm i'm picturing nancy's like fear at the end like yeah it was it was maybe a little bit over the top it was and- cheesy and campy yeah, and and you kind of you kind of said the opposite like uh, earlier where like you thought that the women characters were written actually relatively well like Nancy's character was written in a way that like you know she she was on board like she like she was intelligent and and like mm. perceptive of what was happening but I would agree with you that that yeah there is a little bit of overacting and that's just part of like what the expectation for was at that period of time yeah yeah exactly um so it's not a huge criticism at all like there's it's hard to find criticisms other than that it's just like the a little bit of logic of like why are they getting in a cab like steal a car like it's so (laughs) it's so easy like i don't understand why they were like trust or like I think it's just like those like small little trust things that you still have, right? Like there's still this like belief in humanity at this point. Like they they really, really still don't understand just the the gravity of the situation that they're in and how many people are already infected at this point. I can skip over that. I could suspend my disbelief, but like mm-hmm. there were th- times when I was like, like why aren't they going like why are they following society's rules still right. and getting screwed by it? I think it's just, again, it comes back to, like, the safety of yeah, the yeah. safety in numbers kind of idea, right? Like, the yeah. safety of conforming, and and if I conform, then they can't get me kind of thing, right? See, yeah, that's where I think Jeff Goldblum's character could have been a little bit more, could have been used, utilized better. Like, he, he was an outside-the-box thinker. He thought right. about everything. He should have been a little bit, like, they should have relied on him to be like, no, we're going to go off script here. We're not, like, we're going rogue. Right. We're doing something awesome to, like, get away. I think they could have u- utilized him a little bit better because he is that character. Like, he's that actor to be yeah. that guy. Like, But this, this was so early on in his career yeah, that, like, yeah. they didn't know that at that point, too, Exactly, right? and that, that comes in for sure. But uh, that's like, also just part of the gold of this movie. It's like young Jeff Goldblum, like such yeah. a young Jeff Goldblum. He's he was like what he said he was like six foot, six foot or six one at this point. Six he was four, like one hundred seventy pound. Yeah, six four, one hundred seventy pounds. It's yeah. like oh Jeff Goldblum, you still have so much growing left. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My young child. Yeah, he didn't like he had the essence of his um his acting and his his characteristics are there, yeah. but he hasn't leaned into them yet in his career. One other like really cool thing that I liked was um, there's like a small sequence where all they're doing really is filming from the waist down like people's feet, how they're walking. Yeah, Elizabeth and Matthew are walking through the city. They've it's like three quarters through the film, and uh, they're just filming the pod people, just their feet like turning and following and like connecting and following like the the hive mind has connected and they're following and like right. that that was a, another thing where the camera work was so well done yeah 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 agreed um all right i think we should probably wrap this up we've we've talked for quite a bit so this was a fantastic movie i expect it like I said, expect to, for me to talk about it more at the end of our year wrap up because I really loved this one. I thought it was really mm-hmm. special and it absolutely just, it demands your time. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
I'll be convincing people to watch this for sure down the road. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. All right, I think that's it. Uh, we actually have to discuss separately what we're doing next because we haven't even looked at, I haven't even really looked at the list yet. So I will, as always, say if you have any recommendations for future movies to watch in November, usually that's kind of historically biography month or war movies, westerns, all that sort of stuff, like anything of interest there. I've kind of got in the back of my mind one movie that I might want to do this year, but uh, yeah, throw out a recommendation and... Uh, as always, tell your dad. And your mom. <laughs> we won't discriminate. Yeah, yeah. And your mom's uh, hot. <laughs> all right. On that note, we'll see you next time. All right. Bye. Bye.